Well, good morning. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you bless us. Father, we thank you for the generosity of the people here as they have opened their wallets and opened their hearts and brought food so that the hungry of our neighborhood, of our community can be fed. Father, we thank you so much for that. And we pray, Father, that in the feeding of those people that your name will be glorified, that people will see that you know them, that you care about them, that you love them, and, Father, that they will be drawn closer to you. And, Father, use us as your instruments in that so that we may reflect Jesus Christ to them and to the world that's around us. Father, our desire is to be like Jesus Christ. Our Father, Father, our desire is to walk in his steps. Father, we pray that you will draw us closer and closer to him so we can be more and more like him so that we will look and act and sound more and more like him. And Father, we thank you for sending him as the sacrifice for our sins, Father, so that we may be redeemed, so that we may spend eternity with you. And Father, we look forward to that day. We pray, Father, that you'll send Jesus back soon. We pray this in his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So we're in our seventh and final week of our Come, Follow Me sermon series, where we've been walking along with Jesus' very first disciples as they followed Jesus. And as we've walked along, we've carefully observed where Jesus led his earliest disciples so we can learn where he is likely to lead us today. And we've been doing this so that we can be better equipped to be disciples who follow Jesus at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. As I'm sure most of you know by now, this series uh, is a direct outgrowth of our theme, our 2014 Netherwood theme, which is, it's time for another quiz, we haven't done this in a while, our 2014 Netherwood Park theme is... That all may know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, By the end of the year, I'm sure that that will be like resounding, echoing around when I ask you guys what our theme is. That all may know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. It's a theme that states our shared desire to follow Jesus boldly and publicly and consistently. So there will never be any doubt in anyone's minds that we are servants of Jesus Christ. So as we look back over the past six weeks, we see that we first looked on in wonder as four fishermen and a tax collector literally dropped what they were doing to follow Jesus. And they did that boldly because their future was completely unknown to them. And together we affirmed our intent and our desire to follow the examples of these first disciples by placing our unknown futures in the hands of the God that we know the hands of the God that we love and trust. And then in our second week of the series, we walked along with the disciples as they followed Jesus into a foreign and uncomfortable territory. There they met a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And there we learned that we need to allow Jesus to lead us into uncomfortable places, into surprising places, so we can meet surprising people. So then we can give testimony to the way that Jesus works through surprising people to expand his kingdom in surprising ways. And then in our third week, we climbed into a boat with Jesus and some of his disciples, and we sailed into the middle of a very powerful, very violent storm. 
And in that storm, we learn that we can have complete confidence that the one who calmed the storm, Jesus Christ, is present with us and does care about us in the midst of our life storms. We then followed along as Jesus led his disciples into an upper room for the Passover meal. And we learned there that the meal that we eat weekly, the meal that we eat at the Lord's table, is a meal that gives us strength and it gives us nourishment the things that we need in order to continue in our walk with Jesus Christ. And we also learned that the the tastes of the table are tastes of freedom, tastes of salvation, and that's something that we share together. And then in our fifth week, we talked about wind. And if you needed any reminder about wind, we've had it over the last couple of days. And we talked about how just as the disciples were riding along with a very strong wind to victory and triumph in Jerusalem, the wind abruptly shifted. Then Jesus was arrested. And in response to his arrest, the disciples scattered. They fell away. And we learned there that disciples who try to rely on their own strength are left vulnerable to the headwinds that come when we live in the fear of hostility. We live in the fear of exclusion and the fear of embarrassment that can be directed our way when others recognize us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And then last week, Easter Sunday, we walked along to Jesus' empty tomb. And there we heard angels speak seven words, seven words that have changed the world forever. They said, He is not here. He is risen. We then walked along with two other disciples down a road with Jesus. And we observed their, their excitement when they recognized Jesus, and we saw them rush back to Jerusalem to share the good news with the other disciples. And they said, it is true, the Lord has risen. And then we watched as Jesus appeared in the midst of all of the disciples, and he invited them to look and touch and see. And we learned there that for disciples, the fear and failure of the cross and the doubt of the tomb have been replaced by the joy of Jesus' resurrection. The joy of Jesus' resurrection. So we left the disciples last week after Jesus' ascension. And at the very end of Luke's gospel, we read that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. That's a pretty good ending isn't it? I mean, we like happy endings. And you can't get much happier than great joy. And you can't get much happier than continual praise of God. But I have to tell you, if this was a movie, I would think it had been set up for a sequel. Because there's a lot of questions that are left unanswered. And the central question that's left unanswered is, what happens to these disciples? What happens to these disciples after Jesus left them? We're told by Luke that there were about 120 disciples in Jerusalem. What happened to them after Jesus left? Well, fortunately for us, Luke did write a sequel. He did write a second book. He did write the ending to the story to tell us what became of these very first disciples. It's the book in our Bibles that we call Acts. And if you'd like to, you can turn there now because we'll spend the rest of our time in the book of Acts So as we end this series 
We're going to follow the disciples into just the first few pages of Acts. And we're going to see the beginnings of a remarkable community of believers. We're going to see the beginnings of the church that formed after Jesus ascended to his Father. So this morning, together, let's take a look at the beginnings of a community. The beginnings of a remarkable community. The beginnings of a true community of believers. And unlike the way we normally do things, I want to start at the end of our story. I want us to see what this community became. I want us to see who they were. I want us to see how they behaved. I want us to see what characteristics identified them. And then take a look at how they got there. Take a look at what factors made it possible for them to be a group of believers who were in true community. So if you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts 2 and verse 42, and let's read about this community. Luke records for us, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, let's start with the obvious. This isn't normal. This isn't a typical description of community. Whether that community is based on geography, whether it's a town or a neighborhood, whether that community is based on family, whether that community is based on work or school or some common interest, or if it's based on anything else that forms a community of people, this description simply isn't normal. So listen to those descriptions again. It said, all were together and had everything in common. That's not normal. They gave to anyone who had need. That's not normal. Every day they met together. That's not normal. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's simply not normal. So what made it possible for Jesus' disciples to develop into such a remarkable community? Well, I think there were three factors that made it possible for this community to form. In fact, I believe these three factors not only made it possible for this community to form, I think they made it inevitable for this community to form. See, these three factors also make up our key point this morning. You'll find that key point on the screen behind me and also in your bulletin on the outline. The key point is this. Jesus' disciples are brought into true community by the reality of the resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the anticipation of the Lord's return. Jesus' disciples are brought into true community by the reality of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the anticipation of the Lord's return. When Jesus' disciples embrace the reality of his resurrection, 
when they are led by the power of the Holy Spirit, and when they live in perpetual anticipation of His return, a true community is the result. A community that's marked by being together and having everything in common. A community marked by generosity. A community marked by gladness and sincerity. A community looked on with favor. That will be the inevitable result. I mean, after all, if we have the resurrected Savior in common, and we have the Holy Spirit in common, and if we have a common longing for the Lord's return, don't we have everything in common? So let's take a closer look at how this group became a true community of disciples. Turn with me back to the very start of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And we'll notice as Luke starts the book, he devotes the, verse, the first 11 verses to kind of a quick recap of the most important facts from his gospel that his readers will need to know as they look at the true community of believers in the book of Acts. So let's read about that recap together. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In my former book, the gospel of Luke as we know it, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Let's pause there. The reality of Jesus' resurrection is the central fact upon which the community of believers stands. The truth of Jesus' resurrection is the foundation upon which the church rests. The validity of Jesus' resurrection is the basis of our shared confidence that God will also resurrect Jesus' disciples to live eternally with him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is central and foundational. Listen to what Paul had to say about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And then in verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. This community was possible. Indeed, this community was inevitable because it was full of disciples who had embraced the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. Let's read on in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus promised his disciples that they wouldn't be alone and that they wouldn't be powerless. And the reason for that was because they were going to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming. And for these disciples, the wait for the Spirit wasn't long. If we move ahead a little bit to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that were separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Skipping ahead just a little bit. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? That's a really good question. What does this mean? Well, it means a lot of things, but one thing it means is that this group of ordinary men, this group of ordinary disciples who just weeks before found out that they weren't strong enough, that they weren't powerful enough to overcome their fears with their own devices, it means that they will never be the same. Not because they are stronger, but because God has kept his promise and has given them his power through the Holy Spirit. And this remarkable community that we read about in Acts is possible. Indeed, it's inevitable because of the power of the Holy Spirit given to the disciples at Pentecost. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1 and pick up in verse 9. Luke writes this, After he had said this, after Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He will come back. See, Jesus not only promised the coming spirit, he also promised that he would return. He promised that he would come back. He promised that he would take his disciples to be home with him. And this community we read about in Acts is possible. Indeed, it's inevitable because they knew that Jesus is faithful to his promises. So this community lived in perpetual anticipation of the return of the Lord. Jesus' disciples are brought into true community by the reality of the resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and by the anticipation of the Lord's return. So our question is, what do we as disciples today learn from these stories? What do we learn from these first disciples as we strive to live as a true community of believers today? Well, let me suggest four lessons that we can learn. 
The first lesson that I think we can learn is that disciples are transformed into a community reflecting the nature of Christ. They're transformed into a community that reflects the nature of Christ. Jesus' disciples aren't called to be just any community. We're to be a unique community. We're to be a community that accurately reflects the one who called us into community, Jesus Christ. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus' people will be devoted to the same things that Jesus was devoted to. Devoted to God's word. Devoted to table fellowship. Devoted to prayer. Jesus' people will be devoted to the same things he was devoted to. And it also isn't surprising that Jesus' people will demonstrate the same compassion and the same concern and the same willingness to sacrifice for others that Jesus demonstrated. And it isn't surprising that Jesus' people will give glory and praise and honor to the Father, just like Jesus did. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we will be transformed into a community that looks remarkably like Jesus Christ. Our second lesson we learned from this first community of Christians is that disciples bear witness to the world by showing and telling how we have been transformed. By showing and telling how we've been transformed. You know, reading about the transformation of these first disciples, we see the transformation of these first disciples from weakness to strength, from ignorance to knowledge, from confusion to clarity, from doubt to certainty. And we see that, and it provides powerful testimony to the reality of the resurrection. And it gives powerful testimony to the power of the Holy Spirit. But can you imagine how powerful that transformation was to the people who were actually there and actually witnessed those people change like they did? That's why it's crucial, it's important, it's necessary that today we don't just point to the transformation of the first century disciples as proof of God's power. We should point to that, but we shouldn't only point to that. We also must point to 21st century transformations. We must testify through our actions and testify through our words that God's transforming power is still at work, and it's still at work in our lives. Our lives must testify to the reality of the resurrection. Our lives must testify to the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And our lives must testify to our eager anticipation of our Lord's return. As disciples of Christ, we will bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus and to the power of the Spirit working through our transformed lives. The third lesson we learn is that unity in community is the true identifying mark of God's people. You know, there's nothing more confusing to others than to see people claiming to be a community of Jesus Christ being torn apart by division, by being torn apart by strife and hatred and condemnation. Because that simply looks like any other community. We must, as a community, live out Paul's words in Galatians 3. Galatians 3, where he says, You are all 
sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Unity in community. If we all have the resurrected Jesus Christ in common, if we all have the Holy Spirit in common, if we all have the anticipation of the Lord's return in common, we have everything in common, and our community will be identified by its unity. And finally, we learn that a unified community will find favor, and it will add to its number. We learn that unity is the key to how we are viewed and received by those who are around us. And we learn that the key to growing God's kingdom is the unity of those who are in his kingdom. People want to be a part of a community. They want to be a part of a true community. People want to be a part of a community that's united in its devotion to each other. They want to be a part of a community that's united in its devotion to God. They want to be part of a community united in its joy over what God has done for them. And they want to be a part of a community that's united in their eager anticipation for what God is going to do in the future. So let's be that kind of community. So in the few minutes we have left, I want us to take a look at what we can do here at Netherwood to have the kind of community that they had in Acts. As we do this, let's keep in mind the word together. Because community is done together. Remember in Acts, they were together. And they continued to meet together. And they ate together. And they praised God together. So what can we do together to be the community that Jesus calls us to be? Well, the first thing I'm going to suggest that we can do is we can be devoted We can be a devoted community. Let's be devoted to teaching and learning God's word together. Let me give you simply a short and probably incomplete list of how we can do this together at Netherwood Park. We can do this together in our weekly worship services like we're doing right now. We can do it in our Sunday Bible classes. We can do it in our wonderful Wednesday services. We can do it in our small groups We can do it in our Thursday morning ladies' Bible class. We can do it in vacation Bible school. We can do it in our Tuesday night ladies' Bible class. We can do it in the Thursday night men's Bible study. We can do it by being a part of Ponderosa camp. We can do it by together uh, engaging with our daily prayer and Bible reading topics. And there's so much more, I'm sure, that we can do together. But these are all opportunities that we've been given to learn and teach God's word together. Let's be a community that does that. Let's also be devoted to fellowship. And there's all kinds of different fellowship, but I want to focus on one particular kind of folk, one particular kind of fellowship, and that's in-home fellowship. I'd like for us to commit to recapturing the power, the power of shared meals and shared conversation in each other's homes. Let's be a group of people who is committed to in-home fellowship. 
Let's also commit to being devoted to sharing in the tastes of freedom and salvation every week here at the Lord's table. Let's commit to proclaiming his death and resurrection together every week at his table. Let's commit to receiving the strength and nourishment that we need to continue our journey together every week here at his table. Let's also devote ourselves to praying together. Not just praying together in our public assemblies, although that's important. But let's commit ourselves to praying together as Christian brothers and sisters. Let's get together regularly just to pray. Pray to the God who has given us the gift of his resurrected son. Pray to the God who's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And pray to the God who's given us the gift of being able to live together in the anticipation of the Lord's return. Let's be people who get together regularly to pray together. And finally, let's be devoted to each other. Let's truly love each other. Let's have compassion for each other. Let's take care of each other's needs. Let's be a part of each other's lives, not just for a couple of hours on Sundays. Let's be a devoted group of people, devoted to each other. Let's also be a people who proclaim to the world around us lovingly but boldly the reality of the resurrection. Let's be people who aren't afraid to say, He is not in the tomb. He is risen. Because you see, our faith is not futile. It is not to be pitied. And it's certainly not to be hidden. It's to be shared through our actions. It's to be shared through our words. He is risen. Let's proclaim that to the world around us. Let's also be people who proclaim through our actions and through our words the transformation that Jesus has made in our lives. Let's proclaim to the world around us that he lives, but he lives in us. Let's be a community that proclaims Jesus' transforming power in our lives so that we can say to the people around us, come, look, and see. Jesus Christ lives in me. Let's be a community that proclaims Jesus. And finally, let's be a community that trusts in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wasn't just a Pentecost experience, and it wasn't just a first century event. Let's go back to Pentecost one last time. Set the stage. A large crowd has gathered in response to the evidence of the Spirit's power working through the apostles. And Peter boldly addressed the crowd, and he proclaimed the reality of Jesus' resurrection. And he proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Jesus as Christ. And he affirmed the arrival of the promised Holy Spirit. And when the crowd asked, Brothers, what shall we do? This is how Peter replied in Acts 2.38. He said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We're here together in community, 
Because the Lord has called us and we have answered. And we have repented and we have been baptized. And we've been forgiven. And we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's be a community that relies on and trusts the power of our gift from God, the Holy Spirit. And let me close with a word to those present who the Lord is calling and has been calling, but haven't yet answered his call. Who haven't yet been baptized to receive the free gifts of forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the resurrected Savior, is calling you into community. Into community to be led by the Holy Spirit so you too can live in eager anticipation of the Savior's return. Won't you answer that call? You can do that in a couple of ways. We're going to stand up and sing a song. If you're comfortable doing so, would you come to the front, in front of this community and say, I want to be a part of Jesus' community. If you're not ready to do that, you can make your way to the back, and there are some men that are in room 104, some of our elders, that would love to talk to you about how you can become a part of Jesus' community. But please respond to his call as we stand and we sing.